Hello and welcome to the Early Roots Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Roper. I'm really excited for today's episode. I'm going to go in more depth about primitive reflexes, which is my area of specialty and something that I'm super excited about. It's a topic that I think every parent and every professional who works with babies or kids should know about. If this is the first time that you're listening to this podcast and you've never heard about primitive reflexes before, then I'll touch on them briefly and kind of give a short explanation about what they are, what they do, and why they're important. But for the meat of this episode, I'm going to go into specifics on each of the different main reflexes that I look at and explain what they look like in babies, what their role is during the time that they should be present, and then what can happen in older children if these specific reflexes don't inhibit or develop properly. But first, let me back up and give you a quick overview of what primitive reflexes are. Babies are born with a set of reflexes called infant or primitive reflexes that they keep for the first year or so after birth. And it's important to know that babies are born relatively early. They're pretty immature when they come out. So they don't have a lot of control over their body or over their movements. And so they rely heavily on this set of reflexes to keep them alive and to help them to survive during that early infancy stage while they're beginning to gain control of their body. As babies mature and grow, these primitive reflexes begin to be inhibited by upper parts of the brain, and babies develop more mature, advanced reflexes and more dynamic neural circuits that they rely on for more advanced brain function as they get bigger. There are a lot of things that can happen during pregnancy, during birth, during the early infancy period that disrupt this process of normal development, and you can see problems with the way that the reflexes mature and with the way that they inhibit and then with the way all of the more advanced neural circuits de- neural circuits develop beyond that. These reflexes don't develop or inhibit properly and what you see is this negative domino effect of development as children get bigger. And while a lot of these development disruptors may happen early, like during pregnancy or during the birth process, a lot of times you don't see the effects of that until years down the road. For example, alcohol exposure in pregnancy alters the way a baby's brain develops. And depending on some of the more severe cases, you might see signs of that early on, but you might not see the full extent of the problems associated with that exposure until that child is much older, potentially when they're learning to regulate their impulse control or their attention years down the road. The same is true for other developmental disruptors, especially things that happen really early, like during the pregnancy stage or during the labor or birth process. So I want to use this episode to talk to you guys about some specific reflexes and what they look like in infancy and then what happens when they don't mature or inhibit properly as children get bigger. The most common reflex that I see is called the MORO. That's M-O-R-O. And it is by far the most common and the most problematic reflex that I see in children. So the MORO is the infant startle response. It kind of regulates our fight or flight response during those early stages of infancy. And this reflex is triggered by any sudden change. So the most common one you're gonna see is when you bump a baby or you move them, especially if their head tips back. What you'll see is that their arms extend out, their chest kind of arches, and then they grasp forward. It also is sometimes accompanied by an intake of breath. 
And this reflex can be triggered by any sudden change. So while changes in gravity or changes in vestibular function are the most common, you can also see them if there's a sudden change in temperature or with lights or a sudden loud noise or anything that is picked up by our sensory systems. This reflex is super important during that early transition phase, directly after birth, when babies are born and they take their first breath, and then physiologically they're going through huge complex set of changes. Their circulatory system is changing, their acid-base balances are changing, they have to begin taking over their own digestion and respiratory function, and so physiologically baby is going through a huge transitional process. And one of the things that babies need during that transition is to have elevated cortisol levels. And there's a lot of things that go into labor and birth that help to raise baby's cortisol, le cortisol levels to an optimum range for helping them with that transition. But one of the things that assists with that process is this startle reflex. So as they're born, as they enter into a world of gravity, they take that first breath that changes the different pressures in their lungs, it starts changing their circulatory system over, and you see them shift from basically this fetal mode into a newborn mode. So Moro reflex, while it has a bad rap for somebody who works with older kids in my situation, is a really, really important survival reflex that we need during that early infancy. The main thing being to help us with that transition, but then after birth, during the early stage of infancy, when babies have very little head control and very little postural control, this reflex also protects their neck. So if their head starts to tip back and fall back below the level of their spine, their arms will open up and their chest will arch back and it helps to protect their neck and prevent neck injuries it's also thought to help babies adapt to changes in their sensory environment. In the womb, obviously babies are suspended in fluid and they're encased in a womb, so their sensory experience is very different. They never get the full effects of gravity or of light or sound or touch, and so this moro reflex is thought to help them bridge that transition as well and develop more mature sensory systems. And one of the big things that's important about this reflex is that the more is very different from our adult startle response. A mature adult startle response has a couple of features that are different. Physically, it looks a little bit different. Instead of the arms coming out and the chest coming out, the shoulders come up. Although, depending on the situation, sometimes that's a lot more subtle for some people than others. But the big difference is, is that the moral reflex is a lot more sensitive. So it's a lot easier to trigger. And there tends to be a bigger reaction when you trigger the moral reflex versus a normal adult startle response. The other big feature is that our mature adult startle response has connections to other parts of our brain to help us evaluate a situation and make a more advanced mature reaction to what's going on. So 
if somebody were to drop a glass and it would shatter, you might jump, then you would orient to whatever that is, and your brain would make some snap second judgments to determine whether or not that was something to be concerned about. And as soon as you realize that it's just a glass breaking, your body begins to calm itself down, and you don't stay in that stress response, ideally. There can obviously be problems with the way an adult startle response and an adult stress response works. But that's separate from the morrow. With the morrow, the babies don't have that same connection to those advanced parts of the brain. They don't have the same evaluation patterns and they don't have the same calming down when it's something that you don't need to be concerned about. So essentially, they kind of just have to wear it out. So for kids with this morrow reflex, what you see is that they live in a world that is too loud, too bright, too busy, and physiologically, their body overreacts to that. So when you have a child that lives with this for extended periods of time, what you see is a lot of problems with the way a lot of different systems develop and mature. The most common things you see are going to be problems on the social-emotional front. So poor emotional development, poor emotional regulation, a lot of kids with things like anxiety or fears. As kids get bigger, sometimes you can see that shift into more depressive symptoms. But a lot of times when they're little, it's more of the anxiety. You can see a lot of obsessive compulsive tendencies, obsessive compulsive type disorders, because those all fall under that anxiety umbrella. It's also really common to see problems with energy and attention regulation. So some kids fall into more of that ang anxious withdraw category where they tend to be more fearful and afraid and pull away from situations. Other kids react with more of the fight tendency and you might see things like problems with things like anger management or low frustration tolerance. Other kids treat it almost like an adrenaline rush. Rather than feeling anxious about a situation, they get really amped up and excitable. So you can see that a lot with kids that are really hyperactive, and it looks like they're just really excitable, but internally and physiologically, their body's just in a really heightened arousal state and a really heightened stress response. And when kids live like this over long periods of time, and as they get older and older, you can also see it take a physical toll and affect other areas of the body too. We're not meant to live in a constant stress response or with really heightened stress levels or heightened arousal levels. So when that happens, you can see a lot of problems with things like sleep, digestion, immune response. I see kids that are prone to things like eczema and allergies and other physical things that really have a connection to our gut and our microbiome and our physical health as well. So really, really common with kids that have this retained startle response, this moro reflex. This is a reflex that I spend most of my time working on. I'd say 95% of the kids that I work with have this reflex, and we spend a lot of time on it. So I could go on about it for a long time, but I do have another podcast episode specifically dedicated to that that really gets into more detail if that's something that you want to learn more about. But for now, that's just kind of a good basic overview of what that Moro reflex looks like. The second most common reflex that I see is called the asymmetrical tonic neck reflex, or ATNR. And this is a reflex that is triggered whenever babies turn their head from side to side. And whatever side they're facing, 
the arm and leg on that side extend and the arm and leg on the other side bend. So think about the fencer's pose or an archer's pose. This reflex is really helpful when babies are in the womb. It helps to encourage movement and helps them to develop some muscle tone so that they're actually active while they're in the womb. It also is a reflex that they use when they're being born, if they're being born vaginally. So when babies are born, they have to make very specific rotations and movements in order to navigate through mom's pelvis to be born. A lot of people don't know, but babies actively participate in their own birth. So they are moving and doing a lot of motions that assist with that process. The process of actually being born not only uses these reflexes to aid in the process, but it also helps to strengthen and solidify them and prime them for life outside of the womb. So everything that is happening during a physiological labor and birth is helping to prime this baby to function outside of the womb. Remember that transition from fetus to newborn is one of the most complex dynamic transitions that we ever make in our entire existence. And it has to happen in a fairly short amount of time. So labor and birth has a very important role in prepping baby for that process and that job after birth. One of the things that helps with that is the priming and the strengthening of these infant reflexes. The ATNR is one of the reflexes that they use to help them make those motions. So it's really important for the birth process itself. Then after birth, this reflex helps to provide some protection around the face. Babies have several re different reflexes that help protect their face and their airways after birth, but the ATNR is one of them. It does that because as the head moves, the arms move with it and it helps to create some space and movement around the face. One of the big jobs that this reflex is doing, though, is it's helping to create hand-eye training and coordination. At the time of birth when this reflex is present, babies have very immature visual skills. They can't control or move their eyes very well. They also can't see very far. They can see about the distance from your chest to your face. One of the things that this reflex is doing is helping them to move and develop visual skills. So when their head moves, their hand moves within range and they're able to fixate and they're able to really start strengthening that visual skill. While this reflex is present, though, it creates this kind of invisible connection between the head, the eyes, and the hand, so that it's difficult for children, if they have this reflex and they're older, to develop smooth coordination between those three features. Because when their head moves, their eyes and their hand are going to want to go with it. And it's going to be very difficult for them to move their eyes smoothly without engaging the rest of their body which for most people may not sound like a big deal, but when you're looking at reading, writing, and hand-eye coordination skills like sports, those that's a really important skill to have. So you need to be able to have good separation and good coordination between your eyes, your head, and your hand. This ATNR reflex is really 
one that I call the school reflex. It's the one that I see impact academic performance the most. Now, there's a lot of other things that do too, so it's not something that you typically see in isolation. But this reflex specifically really seems to hang kids up on the reading and writing front. And typically, as this reflex is integrating, you'll see Um, big improvements in the visual motor skills and that's what helps really increase that academic performance and bring in the reading and writing. Uh, This is a really important piece typically for kids that are struggling with reading. I know this is very anecdotal. There is some research on to support this too but Anecdotally, in my practice, every kid that I have seen that has come in with a dyslexia diagnosis has had this reflex and accompanying visual motor skills too. Now, I know that that is anecdotal, but there is some research to support that too, that there is a very close link between a dyslexia diagnosis and this ATNR reflex. So if you have a child that's struggling with reading and writing, or if you have a child with a dyslexia diagnosis, this would be something something to get checked out and could be a really important piece of helping them to develop solid reading and writing skill. The other thing that happens with this reflex is that it creates kind of an invisible barrier at the midline of the body because the two sides of the body are doing opposite things but they're not working in a really coordinated and connected way. What you often see as kid in kids is that they have trouble crossing their midline which is not something you would notice probably unless you're trained to look for it, but it is an indicator that they're going to have problems with things like reading and writing. Um, It can affect balance and coordination. It can affect hand-eye coordination. It's a good foundational skill that we need in order to have really good clean academics later on down the road. Another common one that I see is a spinal gallant reflex. The spinal gallant is a reflex that you see on the spine. If you take uh, the back end of a paintbrush and you stroke down either side of the spine in the lower part of the back, so the lumbar region, what you'll see is the hip and the shoulder on that side curve together. This reflex is thought to assist in the birth process to help keep asymmetry in the shoulders and the hips and to encourage movement so that babies are less likely to get stuck when they're being born. This one also is important because it just helps encourage movement. I haven't said it in this episode, but I've said it many, many times before, but the brain develops through movement. It is movement and interaction with our environment that creates changes in the way that our brain functions and the way that it develops. So movement is a really important piece of early development. Anything that encourages movement is in some way, shape, or form encouraging brain development. When this reflex doesn't integrate properly, what you often see is that kids get really sensitive on that part of their back. They might be really sensitive to pants or clothes that rub on that part of their back. A lot of times they have trouble sitting in chairs that rub on that part of the back because they want to shift and wiggle when that part of their spine is stimulated. The other thing that we know about this reflex is that there is some connection between the spinal gallant reflex and bedwetting, and we aren't 100% sure what those connections are, but we do know that kids who have a spinal gallant are more likely to struggle with bedwetting. The next reflex that I commonly see is the symmetrical tonic neck reflex, also called STNR, and this is one that we look at when kids are in quadruped, so on hands and knees. 
And when they're in this position and their head extends, their arms both extend and their legs both bend. So essentially what you see is they kind of sit down on their butt and look up and around. And then oftentimes they'll keep crawling and you'll see that their head tucks. And when their head tucks, their arms bend and their legs extend. So for babies, this is a reflex that they typically use when they're crawling. And you'll see they'll go from crawling, they'll look up and around, they'll sit down on their butt, and then they'll crawl and they'll tuck their head and kind of stick their butt in the air. And oftentimes they'll rock back and forth while they're in the process of crawling. And this movement and this reflex helps them to go from crawling to standing. So it's one of the reflexes that we use basically to defy gravity and to develop a strong core and a good postural system that lets us move from quadruped to upright which is ultimately what we want to end up at. When older children keep this reflex, it can affect a lot of different areas. One, it can affect posture and the way that they develop good postural skills. So it's not uncommon to see kids that really struggle to stay seated in a chair that tend to slouch or slump or lay their head down on the table. It affects our upper lower body coordination, so it can be difficult for kids to coordinate and excel in sports that require upper and lower body communication. Um, also, any of the reflexes that are triggered by a change in head position affect our visual motor skills. One of the jobs of these primitive reflexes is to encourage very specific eye movements that help our visual system to develop properly. For the STNR, one of the things that's happening when babies are using this reflex is they go from crawling around and looking at the ground to sitting up and looking around the room and focusing their gaze on something that's close up, then looking up and focusing their gaze on something that's further away. That skill of being able to focus on something close and then refocus on something further away is called accommodation. Then the actual focusing piece is called convergence, where our two eyes actually turn in to see one stable image. These skills are things that are being developed and used around the same time that this reflex is present. It's not uncommon to see problems with this reflex and accompanying problems with visual motor development. So this one can also affect academic performance and attention when doing academics and things like that. Another really common reflex that I see is the Palmer reflex. That is the infant grasp reflex in their hand. So when you put your finger in the palm of a baby's hands, you'll see that they will close their hand around your fingers and hold on to it. For some babies, that grasp is actually quite strong and is thought to be another protective reflex to help them hold on to things so that they don't fall. There is also some sort of calming effect that comes with this reflex. You see when this reflex is being elicited, oftentimes that Moro has a diminished response and you'll see that babies are less likely to have such a strong Moro reflex when their palmar reflex is engaged. Same thing with sucking when babies are sucking. Like when they're nursing, you'll see a diminished 
startle response to. So we don't fully understand and know all of the importance of all of these connections, but that's also something that I see a lot in the kids that I work with. When they're anxious or stressed out, a lot of them will engage that Palmer reflex. They'll hold on to things. They'll even just make fists and hold on to their hands. So there is some sort of innate connection between that and our arousal system and our stress response, even if we don't fully understand it. But the main problem that I see associated with this reflex has to do with handwriting and how comfortable kids are using a pencil. It's really difficult to develop really good fine motor skills when you have this reflex because this reflex engages the whole hand. So if children are trying to learn to write and use their fingers in a really mature, detailed way, it can be difficult because this reflex is gonna want to override those movements if that part of their hand is being stimulated. Mostly what I see is that kids hate writing. They tend to get hand cramps or complain that writing hurts their hands a lot. And I I think that that's probably physically true because there's this war going back and forth between what they're trying to get their hand to do and then these reflexive actions that are happening in their muscles. And I really do think that a lot of kids get hand cramps when they're trying to write and they have this reflex still present same could be true for other fine motor skills too although usually when parents are coming in and they're concerned about something it's going to be writing these are just a few of the main reflexes that I see there are actually lots of different reflexes that I look at and lots of other areas of brain and body function that kind of go along with reflexes but these are some of the more common ones. And so it should be pretty easy to see that these early periods in our life are really, really important for creating our good foundation of brain and body function. And the really cool thing about primitive reflexes is that they are testable, reliable indicators of maturity. So we can look at a child who is school age, check their reflexes and other accompanying things, and see how their nervous system has matured and whether or not it's working properly. When you see older children who still have these primitive reflexes, it's a clinically significant indicator that their brain and body have not matured properly. The good news is that children aren't stuck. The brain and body are capable of maturing and healing way beyond childhood. If you can identify where a child got stuck in their development, there are lots of things that can be done to recapture that missed development and help their brains and bodies to heal and to mature the way that they were supposed to. Assessing and treating primitive reflexes, particularly the Moro, is a really important piece of this puzzle. So if you have a child that you're concerned about, please visit my website to learn more. It's earlyrootstherapy.com. I have a screening questionnaire on there and I offer phone consults to see if this type of therapy would be helpful for your child or if we should be looking in a different direction. This is a topic that I am super passionate about. It's something that I wish a lot more people knew about. It is obviously gaining a lot of interest, and it's something that is becoming more common and more well-known, and I'm hoping by the end of my career that it will be a very commonplace things to assess and check for these things in kids who have developmental problems. I really hope that you enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something helpful. Mm-hmm.